so this morning, uh, I want to uh, continue. I think I'm going to try and wrap it up today. This should be the last of what we're going to uh, look at in the book of Ruth. And uh, it's a, how many of you have enjoyed uh, this book of Ruth? It's good, isn't it? And uh, we've been kind of going through there. The book of Ruth could be preached in so many th ways. There are many things that could be taken of it. There's, there could be several sermon series, but I've focused upon this uh, one area. And today I want to continue with that and probably just uh, <clears throat> will conclude with that. So this morning I want us to look at the fourth chapter of the book of Ruth. And uh, let me get my stuff ready here because I'm not going to use my Bible. I'm using a different translation uh, from today, you'll have it there. But I wanted to look at this portion that we're looking at today uh, from the NLT this morning. I like the way it reads. The book of Ruth is kind of a story, and in reading stories, I don't know about you, I like to, I like to be able to relate to them without having to think about them. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, sometimes I have to sort through all the King James stuff and all like that but a simple story that's told that way. I'm not much into movies where you have to, and I don't understand this. I don't understand this. <laughs> when you're watching a television show and they've got people, and they go in and out of English to whatever language, and I'm like, can't you just stay with one and go right through there? Am I the only person that's recognized that before? And then they have the captions there, and I'm like, I don't want to lift them and anyway, sorry, a little rant there. But anyway, we're going to talk about the book of Ruth this morning. Bible says, in fact, just stand for the reading of the word. Give honor. You know, what we honor, what you give honor to, you receive honor from. Amen. When you honor the word of the Lord, then the word of the Lord brings honor to you. Amen. Hallelujah. So the Bible tells us that Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. And just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz calls out to him, Hey, come here. Sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, right, who came back from Moab? Well, she's selling the land that belonged to her, our relative Elimelech. And I thought I should speak to you about it so that you could redeem it if you wish. And if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm the next in line to redeem it after you. And the man right, replied, all right, I'll redeem it. All right. I'll redeem it. You may sit, have a seat this morning. So this morning, we're going to go into a, a portion of this today that I feel necessary to go. We've been talking about opportunities. And today, we're going to take you from mystery to history. Okay? Everybody say, from mystery to history. And we're going to look at the book of Ruth. So over the last few weeks, I've been talking about opportunities. And we kind of went down the, the path talking about seeds and how we have seeds of potential within us. And for every seed of potential that we have, God gives opportunity for that seed 
to germinate, for it to grow, to, to produce what it's supposed to be. So those are great opportunities that we have uh, that God gives us. And from there, I began to talk about opportunities in itself. How many of you know that opportunities present themselves to us every day? Every day, there's opportunities that's presented to us. Some are good opportunities, and of course, Satan puts out opportunities as well to try and get us, distract us, detour us. But the opportunities we're looking at today are, uh, as I said, the opportunity is, is a favorable or advantageous circumstance or combination of circumstances. In other words, there's some things that happen in our life, we consider them to be opportunities that are advantageous to what we want to do. How many of you know that God gives us opportunities, amen? We know that opportunities from God is an open door that God gives us to move us from one place to another. It takes us from where we are to another place. It's an open door. It's an opportunity. On Friday, I was listening to KMOX in the afternoon, talk radio, and uh, anyway, on the, the show that they had going on in the afternoon, I can't remember who all was involved there. I don't think Chris Ranji and, and uh, Amy Mark scores were there. I, I want to say it was uh, Dave, uh, Dave Glover, maybe, on his show. I don't remember. But they had as a guest there that day, which they oftentimes do, is, is uh, Dave Murray. How many of you know who Dave Murray is? Been in, around here for quite a while and uh, as, a, as a meteorologist, and many people trust in Dave Murray. Uh, you know, he, has a, he gave a forecast I heard yesterday that was really good for our fall. We're going to have a wonderful fall. How many of you like a wonderful fall? I like falls that last. I don't like them to be hot, scorching, and all of a sudden you got three days of fall, get that pumpkin spice down, and then we turn to winter. I don't like it like that. I like to extend that out. And so he said everything looks to be a wonderful uh, September and October. The, uh, it's going to be pleasant into November. And, and so anyway, I said, oh, I love you, Dave. Thank you so good. You know, you mean so much to me, you know, giving me that three-month window of good opportunities to enjoy the weather. But as he was there on Friday, he was talking about the festival that occurred yesterday and is still occurring today in Forest Park. It's called the Evolution Festival, Music Festival. Does anybody, have you heard about it? Anything? Nobody's going we heard about it, right? So they have different music groups and different things like that. It's kind of, uh, you know, basically talking about 50 years of where we've been in St. Louis and the evolving of music scene and so forth. And anyway, he said, they have contracted me uh, as a meteorologist to stay there to kind of give, uh, to be prepared for anything that might happen. So Dave, on Friday afternoon, he says, I'll be around there, stop and say hi to me. He says, I'll be in and out. I'll probably be in the weather trailer some of the times. Uh, but just don't worry about that. You'll see me out and about because it's going to be a whole good weekend of good weather. We do have a chance for a pop-up storm or so, probably Friday night. And all of a sudden, Dave's credibility just went. <laughs> now I'm worried about the next three months. <laughs> But anyway, as he was talking, and you know, he has a good uh, reputation in the area. And uh, years ago, we had a softball team when, we, when we Harvest first started. And uh, anyway, some friends of the Patterson boys, uh, Mike Seuss was uh, 
was studying to be a meteorologist, and he was under Dave Murray, and he always talked about how great Dave was. And, and it was kind of great because this was the day before we all had weather apps and you know, things that you could do, and we would be playing a tournament. Well, he would call up Dave while we're playing a game, and you know, if we were forecasted to play at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, Dave, what's the weather look like at 5 o'clock? Are they expecting you know? And Dave would give us up-to-the-minute accurate details of what the weather was going to be. But anyway, Mike was a, a great guy. And so anyway, Dave's been here for a long time and well-respected. I don't know why I'm on this road right now, but anyway, we're just going to follow this path. And, and so anyway, in the midst of it all, uh, he's been here for a long time. And he was sharing how he began. He, I think he came from, I forgot what, where he was from, Wyoming? I don't know, somewhere around in there. But anyway, he got an opportunity to come to, to St. Louis, and he took it. And, and he, he took advantage. He did some things that were different that caught the attention of someone who opened up the door of opportunity to, for him to come to St. Louis, and he stayed here. He loved it. And in the midst of it all, he said there was a guy, a newscaster, by, I, th I think his name is Patrick Emery. How many remember, remember that? I'm, we're taking you back there, you know, talking about some of the old fork, uh, news people and so forth. And he said, Patrick, please, Patrick, I hope you're not watching this morning. This is what Dave said. But anyway, he said that, that Patrick was kind of one of those individuals who was, uh, you know, he was, it's all about ratings, and here he is, and now they, they put Dave in there, a new kid on the block, on his, his format, his thing. And so he always kind of looked down on Dave and so forth. And, and so anyway, one day, one day, uh, Patrick was coming in, and anyway, the, uh, he happened to hit uh, uh, an icy patch I think it was on 40 going into the office uh, to the station there that day and his car spun around and it did a thing like that and he regained control and made it in there came in he was telling them about it and he, he tells this to Dave he said normally he doesn't even give me the time of day but he said man he said I was going along there and you were right man we had the, the you know the, the icy weather and he said I hit that and in a moment I thought I was gone. I thought that this was the end. My whole life flashed before me. And Dave says, I bet that didn't take long. <laughs> and Patrick looked at him, and all of a sudden he said, you're a pretty good guy. And they built a relationship, and he said it was through that opportunity that opened up doors for him. How many of you know that you never know how an opportunity, sometimes things we say, sometimes things we do, can create an opportunity, and God orchestrates opportunities to get us to where he wants us to go. Amen? And so thank God for opportunities this morning. So, you know, I shared with you how opportunities comes from the Latin word, which two words put together, but ab portum. It's a Latin word, which, <clears throat> which means coming toward a port coming toward a port, and it was a mariner's term back in the 1600s that, that when, oftentimes when they would be bringing a, a ship in and they're getting ready to dock at the port and they come in there and all of a sudden it's without effort that a breeze would begin to blow and all they did was set their sails and an opportunity, a window had happened for them to ride in safely and right where they needed and so that's how the word opportunity became. This morning I 
put on my uh, uh, Facebook thing, which I had already planned, it said that there's a, there, there's a breeze blowing, you better set your sails. How many of you saw my Facebook thing t- this morning, amen? So I don't think that was by chance that I selected that for today, and I got up this morning, and Tracy Bodenbach had already been out, and he says, there's a smooth, gentle breeze blowing out there today. I said, yes, set your sails, come on now. How many of you know that we're going to, I believe that God confirms in the natural what he's doing in the spirit. How many of you need an open door? You need a, you need a smooth sail for a, a moment, amen? To dock at the right place. And so here we, we see that uh, in the book of Ruth that there's been some opportunities that have been given to some individuals. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to have to recap a little bit of it. Sometimes when you're watching a series, they come back and they recap just to re- remind you of where you've been so that you can know where this episode is going. And so this, uh, this final episode that we have of season one, uh, anyway, if I could borrow that from Netflix... We've been looking at Ruth, and it's a Jewish book. It's only four chapters long, but it's a very powerful, very powerful book. Oftentimes, it's overlooked, but the Jews consider it to be a great work of art. It's a beautiful book in the way that it tells the story. It's an interesting thing because though it fits in history, it's also poetic, and it's very prophetic at the same time. Uh, It's told that Benjamin Franklin, who at one point served as an ambassador to France, would often gather with this group, this elite group of individuals, a, a gentleman's club that they, they were, uh, they, they took literature and literary arts and they would discuss it and, you know, tear it apart, critique it and so forth. And so one day he chose to take the book of Ruth. Now these individuals also were the kind of people who did not believe the Bible. They were skeptics. They scorned the Bible. They didn't like anything about the Bible. So what he did was he changed everything. He translated into the, uh, uh, Anyway, the BFV, the Ben Franklin version, and uh, anyway, he presented it to them. And so he removed the names, and he removed any reference that may have been toward God or anything and just let things fall as they were. And he read the story before them, and at the end of it, everybody praised it. They said, this is the most beautiful story we've ever heard. Where did you find such a story? And then he told them, he said, I found it in the book of the Bible, in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. And they were amazed that something of such great, uh, just would capture their interest, but yet have a wonderful story that not only appealed to their intellect, but also tugged at their heart and dealt with their emotions. And they were amazed by that. In the book of Ruth, we see all types of types and shadows. And you know what a type and a shadow is. It's things that God gives us oftentimes. We see a shadow of something. We don't see the clear image, but it portrays, it casts forth an image of what we might see down the road. A shadow usually projects beyond where the object is. Are you with me? We see shadows of Jesus being presented in the Old Testament. We also see types of Jesus through the lives of many people, the life of Joseph. We see how he was rejected by his own, but God brought him out of the place, took him out of the pit, raised him up, and put him in a seat of authority. Are you listening to what I'm saying? We see a type of Jesus in Joseph. We see all types of redeemers that come forth. Esther, a type of what God wants to do, how he takes a person who's, not, uh, who's a Jew and raises them up in a land of, of pagans, and not even in her own area, but anyway, exalts her, gives, them, gives her a position there uh, that she can, can, can uh, speak into the destiny and the life of her people. We also see types and shadows, yet 
not only is it just a figurative, it's not an analogy, but it's an actual thing, and it's also a very factual thing. The book of Ruth is not just something that we have. It's not just a fairy tale. It's a proven historical event, and it plays out the way we see it. In this book of Ruth today, as we look at this, there's some people that look familiar. The person that we're speaking about, the male person in this one, is the, uh, the character or the person of Boaz. Everybody say Boaz. Boaz. We see him as a type of Christ. Now, the, the reason I want to say that is because God orchestrated, he ordained, he originated something years before this that if a woman uh, who was married uh, uh, became a widow, her husband passed away, it was passed on to the nearest of relative uh, to be able to take care of her or to redeem her. And so anyway, we see Boaz as a type of what everyone would call or consider at that time the kinsman redeemer. How many of you know that's what Jesus was to us? Amen? We were without, I mean, we were lost. Uh, <laughs> we were up for grabs. But Jesus bought us back through his precious blood. He is our kinsman redeemer. So we see Boaz is a type and a picture of Jesus the Christ that we'll see about. Naomi is an, is an elderly lady at this point. She left her, she goes out of Bethlehem, which is the house of bread where they lived. Uh, anyway, she leaves the house of bread because there was a time of famine. And her husband, Elimelech, chooses to go into the land of Moab. And there they're going to dwell and try and uh, sustain life. And they've got two boys. They take along with them, kill them and Malin. And they go there, and they're, they're trying to survive during this time. And while the 10 years that they are there, uh, Elimelech passes away, as do both of the boys. And so the boys had already taken uh, women as wives, and so Naomi is there. Now, Naomi is a type of Israel, Okay. So Jesus is the Redeemer. Naomi represents Israel. She's an, uh, a Jewish woman. And then we see two girls that are daughters-in-law. One is the Ruth. And we see Ruth, she kind of represents, or she's a type of the church. Okay? I want you to think about this. Israel is the, 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 the chosen people, but we have been grafted in. Are you with me? That's how the church is. So Ruth is a type of church. We also see the other daughter-in-law who represents those. Ruth accepted the opportunity to become a part of the family of God. Are you with me? Orpah rejected the opportunity. She was called Orpah. It means to turn back because she rejected that opportunity. And do we not see that today as throughout all the ages there will be those who will say, I'm not worthy, I'm not a Jew, but I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. I thank God I'm a Gentile, but thank God we've been grafted in through the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you happy today? And you, you are a part of Ruth, but yet there are those who had the same opportunity you can present the same gospel, the same uh, uh, message to two people. One accepts it, the other one turns back and says, I'm going to go back to my old ways. Are you with me? So we see this portrayed in this short little book of romance and relationship and redemption. 
We see how they've gone through hardships and hard times and heartaches, but yet in the midst of it all, there is still hope. Has anybody been through some hard times before? Anybody had some, gone through some hard knocks? You graduated from that school. How many of you are still enrolled? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Continuing education, right? All these things, but yet there is a hope. Thank God for hope. I had the opportunity to speak uh, last month at a church down in, in um, what, what is it called? Barnhart, Missouri. And uh, anyway, with those people there, I, I shared a little bit about my testimony because the pastor knew my situation, Pastor Josh, who was with us a few weeks ago. Anyway, he wanted me to share what God had done. And I have to be quite honest with you. In the, folks, when your emotions are there, when your physical body says one thing, your emotions are right there in the middle of it, but yet you know what God's word. Sometimes it's, you can go back and forth. You can go back and forth. The reality is, is I couldn't get up out of my chair as they would take me out and sit me on the deck just to look around. I couldn't get out of my chair, but yet I would have some word or some song and I'd be playing, oh, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me, and all of a sudden hope would arise and I'd say, this is not the end of the story. I don't care what I'm going through right now. God, I still believe your word. And if your word and your promises are sure and they're true, they are faithful, then you have promised me some things that I don't have yet. So I must have hope that they will take place. And that ray of hope and all I could do, people that I talk to, they may have had different circumstances. I, they can't relate with what I have. I can't relate with what they have. But I can tell you that through the hardships, the hard times, the heart knocks, the heartaches, there is hope and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so we have that hope. In this book, in these four chapters, we see how there can be turnarounds. And we oftentimes need turnarounds. Lord, we need a breakthrough. We need a turnaround. And we see how in the story of these ladies that's being played out there, that Naomi, who feels she doesn't even want to be called Naomi because she's reached such a place. Her name is supposed to be Pleasant. But anyway, she says, just call me Mara because I'm bitter and empty. That's the way she was because of the 10 years at least that they had there in that time. That's what, had, what she had been dealt was bitterness and emptiness. I went away full but I came back empty. I went away with a husband and two wonderful sons, but I came back without it. I don't have anything. So she just said, just call me Mara. But she went from shame to significance in a matter of four chapters. I don't, I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. She went from bitterness to blessedness. Hallelujah. Maybe some, some of you are in a situation, maybe you're finding bitterness today. But I want to tell you something. God is ready to give you some blessedness this morning. Amen. I'm even need some blessing. Anybody need blessing? Those of you that don't say, tell your neighbor, you can have mine then. So the whole thing begins at that place. They're in Moab. Chapter one. There's been this famine. They're filled with grief and sorrow, indebtedness alone and poor, but little did they realize that something was about to change. Something's about to change. And I feel like there's a shift taking place in your situation. I think there's a shift that's taking place in this church. You can look around and say, well, I'm not seeing it. Well, don't, you don't have to see it. I'm just telling you. I know what I'm feeling in my spirit. Amen? 
The Bible tells us that as Orpah leaves and Ruth and Naomi continue their journey, two women by themselves on a road going back to Bethlehem, that they get there, and I told you, Naomi feels empty. She feels bitter. When they walk into the city, though, there were people that recognized them. Well, they didn't recognize Ruth. They had never met her before, but she was with Naomi. <laughs> I don't know if you see the type there. But watch this. Naomi comes in, and they recognize Naomi. She's one of ours. But they accept Ruth because she's linked with Naomi. One of these days, we're going to walk beyond the streets of gold and in through the gates, and those who have gone on before are going to recognize, they're going to recognize Israel and the church together because we've been grafted in. Jesus is going to welcome us both. We've all been bought by the blood of the Lamb. We've been brought together. How about that? Amen? I told you there's so many ways we could go with this thing. But the Bible says that the city was excited that, that, was, that they were there. And it says, and, that, and it happened as they got there. And, and she happens. The, the word happens shows up so many times in this, these passages. It's amazing. And I, I shared with you how the word kara, Q-A-R-A-H, is the word happen. And when it, used, when it says happen, it's not just, it, it seems like a random chance, good luck, flip of the thing. Well, that's the way it goes. It wasn't that. Kara meant that something brought it about. Something was brought it about, and something brought it about. It was appointed. It was ordained. It was orchestrated. They, they, it just didn't happen that they find their way back there. It didn't just happen. Somebody was making the moves and orchestrating them. I don't know about you, but I like that in my life. That I know that God has his hand. He's not, he's, not, he's, he's not controlling me as a puppet. I have my own free will and choice. Orpah had her choice. She chose the wrong path. But if you've taken the choice and you say, Jesus, I want you as Lord of my life. I give my life to you. You still have a choice. But every day, I want to learn to make the right steps, go in the right direction. I miss it a lot, and so do you. But it's, he oftentimes brings us back, puts us into that place, and we go, wow, here I am again. Let's go, Lord. I'm ready. Sorry, I've learned something. Are you with me? So anyway, out of need, we see that Ruth is there and she realizes that Naomi is too old to, main, to care for herself. And Ruth finds her way out into the field. And so they go out there, she goes out there, and it says, and she just happened to come across this field. Well, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. And if you're a believer today, I want to give you some news today. Nothing just happens in your life. Good or bad, God works all things together for the good of those that love God, the called according to his purpose. Nothing just happens. Joseph was, a, uh, was among his brethren. He was sold out for slavery and told his father that he was dead. He ends up in the pit, but they brought him out. They put him in Potiphar's palace. And in the midst of it all, Potiphar's wife says that he raped her. He ends up in prison. Nothing just happens. He gets in prison and he talks to two, a butcher and a baker and the candlestick maker. And, and anyway, he, he talks to him and he has a dream. He interprets the dreams that they have. And because of the interpretation of dreams, he's brought before Pharaoh and Pharaoh has a dream and he interprets that dream and he's brought to the highest position, the governor over Egypt, a guy that his own family rejected is the governor over everything and in a time of famine he's the one that's dishing out the food 
and it just so happens that his family comes there needing something. And of course, they recognize that it's Joseph and they're worried about it because of the way they treated him. The brothers did. And Joseph said, no, man, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You thought you was doing the wrong thing. You were doing just what you needed to do because look where I'm at today. And he was brought to that position so that the posterity of the family could continue. Nothing just happens. Nothing. And that's a comfort to me. So the Bible says that they get there, chapter 1. Even the time they get there is important. It says that they arrive just in time for the harvest. Just in time. How many of you know when you follow God and you've given your life over to Him, you can be in the right place at the right time in front of the right people? Amen? You may not understand it all now, but you can look back. And this whole story is from a perspective of being looked back. It's Samuel who actually wrote the book. Samuel wrote this story, and you'll, I'll tell you why a little bit later that they believe that he wrote this. But he's looking back at the providence of God, the direction of God, of God presenting all these things and how God meticulously ordered every event to make it happen. She arrives there just in, they arrive there just in time for the harvest. And Ruth finds her place out in a field gathering some of the leftovers. Now, God had orchestrated this rule. Think about this. God made a law to the children of Israel. When you glean, when you reap, leave the corners for the foreigners. Now, he could have just said, hey, leave some of this because about a thousand years from now, uh, there's going to be a gal by the name of Ruth who's going to show up and she's going to need some <laughs> barley and some wheat, okay? She and her mother-in-law. He might as well have because that's exactly what it was for. He intended this. He orchestrated it in advance for this to take place. And watch this. Ruth, who's a type of the church, <laughs> she's out there gathering, reaping where she has not sown. Oh, I don't know about you. <laughs> I love that, don't you? Reaping where she hadn't even done anything. And that's exactly what he told Israel that they would do. He says, I'm taking you into a land that flows with milk and honey. And you're going to reap where you haven't sown. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to sit on and sleep on furniture that you didn't have to make monthly payments on. I'm telling you what. He says, I'm making it all in advance. That's how God orchestrates things. And he can do the same thing for you and for me. Amen? I think about this property that, that we got. I, I, don't, I hate to go off into stories. Well, I really don't hate to. I'm just trying to decide. But I think about how all the things, when we ended up coming back here and uh, moving from where we were at in, in central Arkansas, moving back here, we found a, a place that we, we rented a duplex on Essex Drive in, in uh, Edwardsville. And the church was down the street in that little building next door to the Montessori School. That was our, our, that was our church. And shortly after the first of the year, we had the most horrible ice and snow and stuff. And that was one thing I hated. I don't like it. I mean, I like snow for a couple of days. Okay, that's it. Be done. And that's usually... 24th and 25th of December 
But anyway, we had this ice. It was horrible. I had fallen. I slipped under my car, slid under my car. I had done so many things. I was frustrated with all this ice. And one day I left the church and I was driving down 162 and I got past this place that we had driven by many times. I remember driving down this road, going to Maryville Assembly of God as a youth pastor, and driving past here, there was dirt, and they were piling up dirt here because they were preparing for 255. It hadn't been done yet. And I would wash my car. always had to have a clean car on a Saturday. Wash it and everything, and I'd go through there, and there would be a dew and stuff with all that, and it was mud. And it would get all over my car, and I'd, I didn't like it. I didn't like to have to drive through that mud. And after we were in Arkansas, one time we came to visit, and I happened to drive. Uh, Teresa's mother lived out in Mitchell, and we took the road back this way. And I looked out here and saw this piece of property as we drove past there, and there was a, modal, a mobile home uh, or modular home place, a sales place right here on this property. And I looked over it, and I said, Teresa, that would be a great place for a church for somebody. It wasn't going to be us. But I said, I, that's, that'd be a great place, a great location for a church. Right out here now that they got 255 done and there's no mud, this, that'd be great. And so anyway, upon leaving the little church, I drive by here, and I see water gurgling up out along the road of 162. And as it gurgles up, it's forming a pond, and the pond is freezing over, and all this is taking place, and I get concerned. I'm thinking, somebody, there's no trailers out here. There's no modular homes. It's just an empty lot with a bunch of gravel. And so anyway, I, I wasn't content with that. I said, I want to tell somebody about this. I called up Illinois Power. And I said, I, I mean, uh, uh, Ameren. Uh, no, what is it? Illinois American Water. I called them up and I said, hey, there is a leak out on 162. Well, what's the address? I don't know. It's just out on 162. It's near the interstate. But there's a leak there. There's a, a frozen pipe. I guess a pipe that is frozen has burst. And it's bubbling up. And they said, well, sir, if you don't know who the owner is and you don't know the address, there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing you can do about it? Aren't you the one that gives the water? Yes. Well, who's paying for it? I don't know. The owner. <laughs> Shouldn't somebody be caring about this? I'm thinking in my mind and nobody cares. So I wouldn't stop there. I had to go with my inquisitive mind, inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. So I started looking in there, trying to find out who the owner was, and I traced it down that this was in foreclosure. It was a bankruptcy estate. The people that owned this American, Illinois American Water Company, or, or I'm sorry, American Lifestyle Homes, had lost it to bankruptcy. I traced it down to the bank. I went down to the foreclosure, foreclosed attorney, the, 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 the bankruptcy attorney. And I talked to him. I said, look, I don't know. Somebody's going to be out some money. I don't know what's going on, but somebody needs to, to know about this. He said, thank you, for, thank you for looking into that. I appreciate that. And I said, by the way, who owns it and how much is it? Or what are they going to do with foreclosure? And he says, well, it'll be up on an auction. And so anyway, I went back. And one day we had a men's breakfast. We went to Shoney's. Afterwards, we came over here. And I said, guys, I just feel led that we ought to go over there and grab rocks off of this property. We ought to. We ought to, let's claim that land. And, of course, we gathered up more rocks than us, and we gave them out to the members of the church. And I came up there with, you know, a box of rocks, and everybody thought I was dumber than a box of rocks. <laughs> but I said, look, I want you to hold this. We're going to lay claim to this property. <laughs> Through a series of things, we wanted to make a bid on it. We had $300 in our building account. We made a bid on it that was rejected, uh, we didn't have the right amount of money. Uh, but anyway, over a period of a year, 
uh, as it was delayed and all that, we were granted the sale of this. And anyway, from $300, we wrote out a check for $52,000 in a matter of a year, and we brought it over there, and the property was ours. It was worth $125,000 for the value of the property with all the rock that they had filled on top of this. We reaped what we did not sow. Let me tell you something. God knows how to change things around. Amen? I hope that's for somebody today. So she finds herself out in the field. And there in a field, she went out there and she said, perhaps I'll find favor. And she did. The field of favor. When you walk through the door of opportunity that God gives, you find yourself in a field of favor. It seems like everything you do is just blessed. The enemy doesn't like that. He'll fight you over it. But trust that you're in a field of favor. Here's a Moabite uh, girl, a foreigner, who at this point, she's considered a foreigner. She is faithful there, and she, she, the next place she's referred to in there, it says she's a little bit below a servant. And then she moves her way, I think, in the third chapter. They call her a maidservant. But by the time we get to the chapter we're talking about today, she begins. she's the wife and owner. How many of you know that God moves your position? Amen. So she's out there, and Boaz, the owner of the property, just happened to be there. Happened to be on his property. He happened to see her at that time. And he, she catches his eye and he says, who's the girl out there? Who's the different one? And she, they tell who she is. He says, ah, oh, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, make it easy on her. Throw out some things, you know, that she can collect and pick up. So not only did she, was she a foreigner, but she, she got a raise and got a, a promotion at the same time. They walked out of Moab and they entered a time of new seasons, season of new situations. Things had changed. Things have shifted. When you follow after God, things change. It was going to require a new strategy. She was going to move to new summits and new somebodies. I love it because it says that, that, that uh, she found her way. When they came back into uh, Bethlehem, they were excited to see her. How many of you know that I believe that when you're in God's position, you're in God's, uh, God's position, you go where you're celebrated, not just tolerated? Are you with me? And so here they find themselves in a place where everyone is celebrating that. A new opportunity, a new season, new somebodies. And so anyway, she went through uh, a season of, of preparation, as I told, talked to you about that. She worked through the harvest, presentation. She, she bathed, her, her, mother, her mother-in-law says, look, if you're going to catch his eye, you need, to, you need to work on your presentation. You need to go get a bath. You need to anoint yourself with oil and perfumes and put on your best dress. How many of you know that if, if God opens up an opportunity, be prepared for it. Present yourself well. Amen. Don't throw something together and expect God to make up the difference. Just do your best. Do your best. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be what you've done. What is your best? And then her mother-in-law says, just go in there at the threshing floor, lay down at his feet. When he wakes up, just, it, actually what she did was she proposed to him. It's kind of unusual. I, I, I thought Teresa would never propose to me. It took the longest time. <laughs> and she didn't. But anyway, I just, <laughs> but she said, she tells Ruth, she says, just hang on. 
just wait on what he's going to do. He's going to take this matter. How many of you know there are some times when you prepared and you presented yourself before God and you're waiting for the outcome? Just trust and wait in his predetermination or his predestination, preordination, whatever you want to call it. Just trust in God that he's going to make things happen for you. Can you say amen? Give him a hand clap of praise. God, I've done all. I've done everything I can. It's in your hands now. And so today, we're going to, in just a couple of seconds, we're going to look at the best the blessed, and the rest. The best, the blessed, and the rest. Stephanie, upon making these notes, she says, they don't all start with a B. I said, but they all rhyme. <laughs> That's the kicker today. The best, the blessed, and the rest. So here in chapter four, as we've read, we find that, uh, we find that, uh, Boaz, I couldn't think of his name. Boaz and Ruth have decided that they're going to get married or he's going to redeem her. She will be his wife. And so anyway, he tells, he tells uh, Ruth, he says, you know, this, I really want this to happen, but I have to trust in what God wants completely. And he said, now the way it works is like this. If there's a closer relative than me, he has the right to redeem you. He has the right to take you as his wife. I cannot impose, I can't change that. That's what God says. I won't violate God's will to have my own desire. I will only honor what God says. And so anyway, he goes then at the morning. The Bible told us, we read that he got up early in the morning. I bet he got there before daybreak, before anybody had gathered at the gate. And the gate was like city hall. It was where everybody came to transact business. It was all the things that would take place. If there were cases that were tried, if there were things that were discussed, they came to the elders there at the city gate. And apparently Boaz had a position at the city gate. And he gets there early and trusting that the other person was going to show up there. And so he gets there. He gets a position. He finds a seat. And he has to make sure that nobody sits next to him because he's saving that. And he goes over and he gets 10 other guys. He says, guys, I need 10 elders here because we have to have 10 people to make this legal. And I need you as 10 witnesses. And so he presents the case then to this nearest relative. I like what he says. He calls him, actually in the King James, if you interpret what he called him, it was like, hey, so-and-so. Hey, Mr. Hey, buddy. Hey, friend. Hey, pal. He doesn't give a name. We don't know who that person was. We know that they had an opportunity, but they turned their back on it. He didn't want to do it. But Boaz was ready to cash in on this opportunity. And so anyway, he had told them that there was, or told her that there was a, a, a person who was closer than him. And if he chose to redeem her, that's the way it would have to be. And so in the first five, four verses that we read there, he said, look, I thought you ought to know this, friend. Naomi came back. Elimelech, you know, our, our, our relative, died. And so things got bad, and she had, to, she had to sell the land. And you could buy it back. You could be the owner of this land if you so desire. And so the guy says, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But that wouldn't have been the best. God wanted to bring about the best, and so did so did uh, Boaz. 
And so then, after the guy says, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what uh, Boaz was thinking. I don't know if he was saying, oh, man, I, I, was, I was afraid he was going to say that. Goodness, this is everything. I really had my hopes up. Man, this girl has won my affection. She's got my attention, I, I, my adoration. I really, I really felt like this was God's will, but now everything is failing. He wants to do this. What's going to happen? I don't know if he went like that because it seems like he was sandbagging a little bit. There was some information that he didn't give off the top. He tells him, he said, would you like to buy the land? Why, certainly I would like to buy that land. This is a good deal. I'll get it. He goes, oh, there's one other thing. Verse 5. Of course, you know, if you purchase the land from Naomi, that requires that you also have to marry Ruth. You know, the Moabite widow. Like, in other words, you know, she's not a Jewish girl. She's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. The Moabite widow. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And the guy says, well, I, I can't do that. I can't redeem that. The family redeemer, he, he said, because, well, this is going to endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I can't do, I can't do this. And Boaz is going, yes. <laughs> That's what I was wanting. And the reason he couldn't do it, number one, I want you to think about this. He could have bought the property with the possession and it would have been his. It would have been more for his family, for his, his children. But now, he's got to take on the liability of Naomi and he has to take on the liability of marrying this foreign girl in hopes that she'll have a baby then he's got another mouth to feed, and she's going to get a portion of what he's already got for his family and then the inheritance there. I can't do that. I can't all of a sudden make this pie cut into more pieces. I can't do that. You, you take her. You take her. How many of you know God knew what the best was going to be? Amen. And so before he would have a chance to change his mind, we see that Boaz moves into action. He says to the elders and the crowd standing there around, he says, your witnesses that today I have bought from, the Mo, uh, from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malin, and with, and with the land I have acquired also the Moabite widow of Malin to be my wife. That way she can have a son to carry on the family name of, of her dead husband and and to inherit the family property here in his hometown, and you're all witnesses of this. And so they all witnessed it, and they said, yes, it's done, transaction. Now, I want you to think about this. We don't know how long Ruth was married, but she was childless. Who knows that, who's to say that she wasn't barren, that there would be no other child? But yet he was willing to take that. I want, I want Ruth. I want Ruth. And I, by faith, am believing that there will be a son that will come up who will carry out the family name. This name will not have died. This property will be passed on. And he did this by faith. And that's what God wanted was the best. I got to move fast. Then we see the blessed. All the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We're witnesses. And may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. 
from whom all the nation of Israel descendants, may you prosper in Epaphrath and, in, uh, and be famous in Bethlehem. And they speak this blessing over Ruth. They said, Ruth, we want you, even though you're a Moabitess, even though you're a foreigner, you're coming into our family, you're coming into us, and we bless you today. May you be just like the mothers of our forefathers that were before us. May the blessing be upon you, and may you have a child that is raised up that will be famous throughout Bethlehem. Wow, that's a blessing, isn't it? And all he did was ask them to come there and witness a marriage. And they brought the blessing. <laughs> it's powerful. Then everybody looks, and, and so anyway, they, the, the blessing then goes to Boaz. And also, may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like uh, those of our ancestors, Perez, the son of Tamar, and Judah. They speak a blessing over Boaz, who doesn't have a wife, doesn't have a child, but now he does, and they want him to be fruitful. So they speak a blessing of, of God bringing forth something powerful. Then we see a blessing. It then turns over to Naomi. Oh, I love it, man. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be... He doesn't have a child yet. But they're speaking this blessing by faith. And then it does happen. May this child be famous in Israel. Not just Bethlehem. May he be famous in Israel. And may he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. And they speak a blessing over Naomi in her old age at that time. And the blessing continues. How many of you know when you're, in the, when you're in the, following the opportunities of God, he takes you for what's best and he gives you the blessing. And then from there, we see the rest. It goes on. I like this. This is what I really love. So the child is born, and Naomi takes the baby. She cuddles him up to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. In other words, she became his nanny. And the neighbor women then said at that time, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, which means servant because he became the father of Jesse and the father of David. Now here's the interesting thing is it's the rest of the blessing doesn't stop there. It keeps on going. Because we know the line of the line of David Jesus comes through. So it didn't just stop there. Now, an interesting thing, I'm going to close with this. Is that okay? All in favor, say aye. Okay. <laughs> now, the unique thing about how God does stuff is if we follow after his plan, we can trust that we'll have the best and it will be blessed and the rest will be history. And that's what we see from this. So Samuel writes these four chapters here of talking about how God was good and we see the types and the shadows. He portrays a type of the church and he doesn't even know about it. The church hasn't even happened yet. And so anyway, the reference there I think is so interesting because when they blessed, uh, they, they said that 
they said to Boaz, may you be blessed just like Perez and Tamar and Judah. I want you to let that blessing go from there, just like that happened. And the interesting thing is they mention it at the end of the chapter. It talks about the 10 generations that happened that bring us to David, going back to Tamar and Perez. Now, here's what's fascinating, is that how many of you know the Bible, uh, Jewish scholars, historians, and the rabbis, they believe that there are codes written in the Bible. Does anybody believe that? Okay, there are things there that we don't detect upon just looking at them. And so there are messages within a message. And some of the things, like in other words, they may decode something that they would, you would look at something, and if you knew what the code was, you would say, oh, it's the fourth letter. Every fourth letter, there's a letter there that puts together that forms a sentence. And there are examples like that. Now, this is what's fascinating. I want you to see how God can orchestrate something. But from the Torah, you know, uh, they wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those books were written, all right? Now, a computer, they've devised software that's able to detect and, and decode some of these things that are written. The reference of Tamar comes from Genesis, the 38th chapter. Now, not in our Bible, not in your King James or NLT or anything like that, but in the Hebrew uh, scrolls, they took the 49th letter, which would be 7 times 7, which is a godly number. So 49 letters, every 49 letters, there would be a letter there that would attach itself to something else. And they ran this through the 38th chapter, which was the reference of Tamar. And when they found out that every 49 letters... It's spelled Boaz. 49 other letters, Ruth. 49 other letters, Obed. 49 other, Yishe or Jesse. 49 other letters, David. Five generations of people who were not even on the face of this earth at that time. That's the fascinating thing of God. Now I say that to you because the Bible tells us that God has written our story in a book. He knows every one of us. He's taken into account everything. He's taken into account the mistakes, the faults, the failures, everything, the shortcomings. But his desire is that we walk in his best, that we have the blessed, and let the rest of the story be what he has created it to be. I believe that because I believe my God. Amen? And when Samuel writing this, he had no idea that these five characters that are spoken about in this book were contained in the scrolls from the 38th chapter of Genesis. That's powerful. That's powerful. My friend, God knows you. I remember sitting on the porch and listening to that song that Tess sings. He knows my name. He knows my name. Oh, how he comforts me. Oh, how he cares for me. He walks with me. He talks with me. And he does the same thing for you. He cares. He wants the best for your life. Don't mess it up. Allow him to have his best in your life. Today, you have the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm yours completely. I surrender my all. I give everything to you, O oh God. 
everything. I know that you have a book. You have a story that's been written for me. Before the foundations of the earth, you said that you knew me. Before I was in my mother's womb, you'd prepared me, you fashioned me, you formed me. And I know that you have the best for my life. So today, I just want to just bow your heads for a moment. And I give you the opportunity today to say, yes, Lord. Uh, just like we sang that song, nothing, nothing else. Nothing else will do. God, I only want you. I want your will in my life. If you mean that, I want you to lift up your hand today. I want to pray over you right now all across this place. You want God's best for you. You want the blessing. You want the rest of your life to be the best of your life. Father, I thank you for hands that are lifted up. Father, there are probably hands that are represented here today that may not be completely in your will, and they want to be in your will. There may be hands that are raised today that are concerning other people that, that don't want to be in your will. And I pray that God, each person who is represented by these hands, that everything would come into your will to orchestrate everything. Just like you orchestrated that the friend would reject the offer, the opportunity, so that Boaz could step in because it was ordered, it was written, preordained, predetermined. So, Father, we say yes today for what you have predetermined for our life. Yes today for whatever that means, that we deny ourselves, turn away from our fleshly desires, and say, God, I only want pray that every person today will be able to hear his voice, the tug at, his, at their hearts, to know what is right and what is wrong, what is in your will, what is not in your will, to follow what you have planned, what you have patterned, because we want to be in the center, the center of your will. And Father, take what has been a mystery to us and let it become history that one day we'll stand in the portals of heaven and we'll look back and we'll each hear the story <laughs> and realize that history was nothing more than his story. His story. The story of Jesus working, working in our lives, taking all the hurts, the heartaches, the, the pain, the anguish, the shame, and bringing it about that we'll be able to stand before you one day and say, God, thank you for bringing me through it. Thank you for your hand, for your guidance. Thank you, Jesus, and we'll all be praising you. And that's the rest of the story. Be with them now, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone say amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to thank you today. Don't forget, if you'd like to be baptized in water, there is a, a form back there. We'll be doing that in two weeks. Uh, and we want, to, we want to do that. I think I've got some good things that day. I'm, I'm believing God. Maybe here's some stories of where people have come from. And, and uh, I don't know. I feel the Lord here today. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet and just give him a praise offering right now. Be blessed. I hope to see you tonight at 6 o'clock at the Tide. Wear a sweater.
Love you. God bless. Amen.